Good evening. So, I'm uh, going to talk to you this evening about building the future together. And uh, so, I started this uh, series this morning, so this is part two. Part one was this morning, and uh, you'll be able to listen to that online. It should be up um, sometime this week. Uh, this is part two. Part three is going to be next Sunday morning, and then part four, you get the finale next Sunday evening, okay? So, so the, the, the big zoom is going to come next Sunday evening. So I uh, uh, had fun doing it this morning. It's something that God's uh, stirring me about, um, I guess always. It's not a new stirring that, uh, of how we build a future together, um, but it's particularly stirred me this moment just to share some things, particularly coming out of the, of the books, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is a great book to study about building um, and building together in particular. So we're going to look at some of that tonight. Uh, we'll see how far we got. Uh, this morning I, I'm going to do a little summary of what I did this morning just to, so you don't feel like you're sort of hanging, in the, hanging loose out there. But um, <clears throat> just so you've got some continuity. But I won't do a full recap obviously because uh, that would be a bit of a silly thing to do. Um, just to say on the connection groups, it's looking fun. I'm, I'm <clears throat> so... I was counting up, actually, when we got the booklet. There's, I think it's 27 different connection groups this, this term. That's good. So we, I think, um, and they're there to help you do what? They do what they say on the tin, you see. It's very straightforward. So, um, And uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward. I'm going to actually take part in um, Got Questions group. That's going to be on Tuesdays, which is tackling the... Uh, you know, some of the different, difficult or more controversial questions that face us, um, things about gender identity. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the session on <coughs> um, marriage, sex, and divorce. Um, and again, that's a very relevant subject. What is marriage? What's the context for sex in, from a Christian point of view? And uh, stuff like that. So that's going to be good. And then also one of the things I'm loving being part of and it's an ongoing group not just uh, this term but we're meeting monthly as a heaven in healthcare group that's meeting here and, and uh, that's starting to gain momentum and also we've got the conference coming up on uh, two week well two weekends time so weekend after next and we're looking forward to that if if you're involved in healthcare in any way uh, I'd like you to be at the be at the conference and the locality group as to help us build together something for the future uh, I think all of us would understand that our National Health Service needs help. And uh, we're there to, to supply some of that help, not just in terms of, uh, of, of praying for externally, but for, particularly for the people who are involved on the ground, how they will be literally heaven on earth in that place, bringing joy, peace, love, miracles, creative solutions to the, to the, to the challenges that we face. And... Uh, and what I'd like to say also is that you know, the problems we face or that faces the National Health Service, are, you know, we can look at that from a very sort of negative complaining point of view or can actually look at it as the success of the National Health Service in the way that it's actually managed to bring health to people and that people live longer and stuff like that. So, so this, we're not uh, we're a really positive outlook and I believe that God wants to use us but um, I think also he's going to use that to heaven in healthcare as we build it, build the organisation into something that will change this nation and, and other nations. Okay, so that's what we're doing. And some of you are already involved with that with me. And if you're involved in healthcare anyway, then come and, come and join in with that. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, we've got lots of other stuff going on. <coughs> Next Saturday, uh, 
think it's between, is it between four and eight. We've got a party going on, Eastgate party. It's to celebrate basically um, 30 years of the church in its current format um, being in existence. Um, and uh, so about 30 years ago, we rebooted the church. Um, and at that point, I was asked to lead a group of about 25 adults, 10 children. Uh, the church existed before that. So it was in existence for about 10 years before that, so you could argue that it's been around for 40 years. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. We're going to have fun and celebrate. Um, and what I did this morning, I, I, I basically gave the context of, of explaining um, some of the key uh, transitions of my own personal life because um, actually I turned 60 in, uh, in, in August. I did. Uh, I wasn't sure I was ready for it. It was a surprise. I was, uh, God and I had some words about that, but he did persuade me that he put me on the planet at the right time, and rather than 20 years later, which was when I was, oh, it be so nice. To, I've all thought that. You wish you could actually shift things, because if, if I've known then what I know now, you know, things would be different. Yeah. That's a pointless exercise. I just want to let you know. God and I had, that, had a conversation around that, and he definitely won. Um, he won the conversation and persuaded me. He put me on the planet at the right time for such a time as this, and, that, that, and then... It was a funny conversation, but it also had a co- content to it because I, I, I have a sort of regular pattern where I review my life and, and, and make sure that, that, number one, I'm still following Jesus. That's kind of important. And then look at his faithfulness and what has been achieved, what, what we've built, because then I want to go further. Yeah, so that, that's where I'm at. So, um, the, so, so I look had a quick flick through. So, just to tell you broad, broadly speaking, um, when I was 20, I was born again when I was 16. When I was 20, God came into my university room. Uh, it was quite a dramatic experience, and I knew He called me to be an apostle. And the trouble was, I didn't know what one of those was or what they did, and uh, so I had no idea what to do with that, and apart from tuck it away in my heart and think, well, okay, get on with life. And, um, <clears throat> and it sounded like somewhat of a grand title for somebody who really didn't know what they were doing much. And, uh, so, so, and, but I knew it was God, you know, and, and, and I've, I've learned never to dismiss what he calls me to do and be. Yeah? I think that, so I'm not saying this in a proud way. I say it just in a real way that he decided that was what I was going to be doing with life, and I had no idea what that meant. Um, and certainly didn't tell many people about it, apart from Kim, who was getting married to me, who I thought needed to know that was, that was a, a reality. So we live with that reality. We got on with being, you know, life, uh, and started to raise a family, moved back from Bristol to Kent, were part of a church. And then, uh, so 10 years after that date, when I was 30, God told us to move uh, to live in New Ash Green. And shortly after that, uh, I started to lead this small church of 25 people, 10 adults. <clears throat> and uh, we decided we'd be, we all came pretty much from the same village. We all, we walked to church, didn't need to get in a car or anything. It was quite fun. And uh, just set off to see what we could do to change the world, um, in particular the world that lived around us. And we thought, well, not funny. We, my, my world starts at my doorstep, so you know, reaching our neighbours and so... You know, people becoming Christians and stuff like that. And, and church just took off and grew and just kept on growing. And we had to relocate out of our initial meeting place. And then, then the, the next one we, we 
found, which we thought was quite again, because that would keep a that was enough for a hundred people. We thought that was going to do the job for a while. We, we outgrew that. We had standing room only, so we had to desperately find somewhere else to meet. And we had to make a big transition where we moved three miles down the road, and we had to get in our cars to go to church. That was that was a big deal. That was a massive transition of becoming a bit more, ooh, you know, just breaking out of one little bit, and then and uh, and then in so going another 20 years so 10 years that we had this thing going on the church was growing and then I actually I left my, my GP partnership to work full time for the church and some other people do so we start to have a little bit of staff and at that point we actually uh, started to get responsibility to work with other churches in this nation and other nations and suddenly we were not just in a little village but we were ooh, spreading our wings even further which was a bit of a surprise and uh, I was jumping on planes to Mexico and stuff and then so we had to enter into this next phase where we went from just, you know, not knowing what we were doing, reaching a few people, oh, reaching a few more people. Wow, goodness me, we've got to, wow, we've got to reach some nations. Oh, when did that come about? Um, and so we set off doing that in 1998 and uh, built a network of churches in France and did other stuff and other people kept on wanting, you know, to pick our brains. Um, I ended up travelling around the UK doing all sorts of things because people thought that what we were doing was quite a good model for what they could do. And I thought, I just do what we do, really. Don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any other way of doing Christianity because I never brought up with a religious concept. So I just thought, well, I believe God, believe the Bible, got the Holy Spirit, I think that'll do the job. And, um, and that, that's it. So, so that took us through a decade to 2008. And around that stage, we started to interact with, with Bethel Church and that was another step up in, in, in understanding, really. And we went, I would suggest we went uh, at that point from being church first to kingdom first. We had to make a major transition. And we also had to discover the father heart of God and realize that we were sons and daughters of the living God and not just uh, slaves and servants of a master. So, so 2008, and at that stage, again, we, we just thought, right, okay, and we just discovered a whole other level of Christianity to, 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 to discover, explore, and build. And, uh, and that's what we've done over the last 10 years. In that 10 years, we've built Eastgate. God's placed us at the Eastgate to the city. There's this newest city in the UK being built around us. We are the worship and community facility for it. We started a supernatural school with 17 people on a Wednesday morning. That supernatural school has now trained well over a 1,000 people, um, well over a 1,000 people. We've got a healing centre. We're well known in the UK for, for you know, being at the forefront of, of, of he- Christian healing in the UK. We're trying to make our healing centre compatible and accessible to the National Health Service and all sorts of stuff like that. So quite a lot's happened, really, isn't it? It's not bad. Not bad, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a story. That, <clears throat> but what's next? That's the question. What's next? And this morning I, I started to talk to people about the story of of Ezra. And in Ezra got an amazing story where basically the, the Jewish people come back out of exile because God speaks to, the, to, to a pagan emperor, basically the Persian emperor. And they go back and uh, overcome some challenges and they, they rebuild the... the the temple of God in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then the book of Nehemiah is, is basically um, 70 years after the temple was rebuilt, not, not after the f- people first went back, because it took them 23 years between going back and building the temple. But 70 years later is the start of the book of Nehemiah. And um, <clears throat> at the book, so the, let's have a quick look at that, the start of the book of Nehemiah. Um, 
Basically, what you've got is that, that Nehemiah uh, receives um, basically some one of his brothers, some relatives come back from Judah, obviously where Jerusalem is. Uh, now he's still living. Nehemiah is still living in captivity because not all the Jews went uh, from exile back to Jerusalem. Only those who who chose to. Um, and obviously at that stage, Nehemiah wasn't even born when the opportunity was there. But I find it interesting that his heart is so stirred by the people of God and the things of God. You can see that, that, that he wants to know. And then, then basically he hears that the, <coughs> basically the, the walls of Jerusalem are in ruin. It's all a pretty, it's a, it's a mess. Um, and uh, things are not going well. And he's so stirred by this that he's weeping. And then the story goes on that he then asks uh, the then uh, um, <coughs> emperor, whatever you like to call him, king, um, uh, if he can be allowed to go back to Jerusalem because he wants to rebuild the walls of the city. Um, he's quite close to the king. He's the king's cupbearer. And the story is that he, he has to take, literally risks his life by going into the king's presence looking sad wasn't supposed to do that he said he was reasoning talks about him being afraid because actually he risked his life and that's not something to put down lightly is it the fact that this man right at the beginning was so concerned about the purposes of god and the people of god that he was willing to risk his life and i just want to tell you that that jesus really is worth risking your life for um that was the basis on which I was born again, actually, when I was 16, because I had a really good life, um, excellent life, very happy I was. Um, so, you know, and then I realised that Jesus was even more amazing than the life that I had, and I did a, this great exchange because I actually realised that Jesus was worth dying for, and I didn't have anything of that value in my life or anyone at that stage. I'm a 16 year old boy I like my dad my mum my sister but I'm not sure I would have died for him do you know <clears throat> I hadn't met Kim by that stage so that was not but um, so this guy Nehemiah he's so concerned about it and then he, the king allows him to go back and not only does he allow him to go back he, he gives him everything he needs he gives him the resources and the favour he gives him authorization papers and everything that he will need is supplied for him, this is a, this is extraordinary leadership that this man is is, is demonstrating, um, and then he gets back and he gets to um, back to Jerusalem, and he doesn't tell anybody what God's put in his heart. He just he he, they, he tells them he's there, he's got his papers, but he doesn't he share with them initially what God has put on his heart, and he then goes out at night, and he has a a look and see what the state of the walls are. And basically, he, <laughs> he, gets, he gets to a stage, and I think he's, he's quite straightforward, he's, he's, quite, he's quite real. So in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, so he talks to the officials, the Jewish the priests and the other nobles and officials. He said to them, chapter 2, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in, Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. Now, these are people who are basically been 
inactive for 70 years. And I want to suggest to you, and I believe it's, it's a fair suggestion, is that the people who went back to rebuild the temple then missed the next point of their lives, which was to rebuild the walls and build a city. <clears throat> and one of the a, a wise person many years ago said to me that one of the greatest dangers to your future success is your present success. That was interesting, that your present success, so if you'll rest in your present success, it's probably one of the greatest dangers to your future success. And that, that's always helped me. Probably somebody about 20 years ago told me that. Now, it's not that I'm dissatisfied with our success, but, but if we rest on our laurels <coughs> and, and don't keep building and advancing, then what we have built will probably go into a form of decay because the enemy's not neutral. You don't say, oh... Great, they built something. As long as they don't build anything else, I won't worry about it. No, no, he, 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 he loves to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and that's one of the things we're going to look at today is, unfortunately, some of the ways that they got into trouble, some of the enemy tactics that would stop you building, and to know how to overcome those. Because in my life, that's been one of the most important uh, things I've learned, is, is I, I, I learn... Uh, I try and learn the enemy's tactics so I know how to overcome them. So the Bible says that we are aware of the devil's schemes. Yeah? Um, but sometimes I think we're not. Um, and I say this to, to people. I'm not frightened by the devil. I'm not frightened by demons. I really don't. They don't frighten me. Why? Because I know that they go in the name of Jesus. I know that no Satan has literally nothing on me unless I choose to allow him to have something on me in terms of let temptation take hold of me and stuff like that. And uh, so I know the name of Jesus and I know that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Now that, that's different to being stupidly unaware that he might be active. And so I'm not frightened of him, <laughs> but I'm aware of him. And uh, what happened was I would suggest to you that, that somehow the people of Jerusalem, had left, for 70 years they, they'd missed the point. And I would suggest as an analogy that, of, of that, and even within our own recent history, is that, that uh, I believe it's really important that we build great churches, but great churches that are just church-centered and church-first won't end up as great churches. They'll end up in decay, in decay because we're meant to be kingdom-first. So being kingdom-first people, uh, an outcome of kingdom-first mentality is, is, is actually building great churches. So it's not that one or the other. And I think that was probably one of the biggest shocks in my life when I had to realize <laughs> that I, I really wasn't kingdom first, I was a church first person. And that was January 2009, that shock hit me. And I think it was probably the, one of the greatest challenges of transitions of leadership that we ever faced, um, because I think it changed so much of what we did. But I would say we've, I would say we've done that successfully. Not, not being proud about it, but I, say we, I think that successful transition has, has positioned us well for what is ahead. So, if you start to say, start, what dreams do you have of what, what we could build together in the next 10 years? So, so this, this sermon is not about this year or even a five-year vision. I say, oh, and what, what will we manage to build together in the next 10 years? I think it would be more than we ask or imagine, because that's the way God works. But I like imagining. I like to give him a challenge, so I like to imagine big.
then it's up to him to give me more than I would ask or imagine. It's a challenge. But I like that these guys, as soon as, it's interesting, this is the impact of, a, of, of good leadership into, into a situation. Immediately, these guys replied, okay, let's start rebuilding. You know, don't mean that didn't take long. What happened? <laughs> what went wrong? Well, you know, actually you do have to have good leadership, don't you? And good leadership should inspire people. Um, so they decided they were going to... Then, then the enemies, Sambalat and Horonite, we could boo, hiss, they're the baddies. And woo, hiss. <coughs> Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of me, just the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. <coughs> what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Uh, answer them by saying, this, I love this answer, the God of heaven will give us success. <laughs> And that, that's always the answer. The God of heaven will give us success if we follow him. And uh, one of the things that, that's always a, a regular review of my life is making sure that I am following Jesus. And you might think, well, that sounds stupid. You're, you know, um, but <laughs> there are various parameters I have. And when we were raising our children, um, and but David was born again, I think, when he was five, and Kerry when she was four. Um, and clearly born again. They made a clear decision. It wasn't coerced. It was a clear decision. They wanted to follow Jesus. Um, but we taught them that they would have to repeatedly make that decision throughout life. And it, the sadness is of how many people don't keep making that decision to follow Jesus. That actually many people choose not to. That's really sad, I think. Do you think? But, you know, I'm hoping you think, I'm, I'm still going to be on fire in 10 years' time. Yeah, I'm on fire now, I'm going to be on fire, nothing's going to stop me. Yeah, you're going to have to revisit that decision to stay on fire, you know. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> so one of, one of the things that I, I check, <laughs> it might sound very straightforward, if I'm following Jesus, it means he's in front of me. He's not behind me. He's not, it's not a historical reference. He's, he's out there in front of me and he's leading me on. And I won't necessarily know all the details of what's going on. If you need to know everything, that, that Jesus doesn't give you that many details. And if you think you know everything already, then you are in trouble. Um, because you don't. Because <laughs> he always wants to reveal new stuff to you because he's infinite and eternal. That's the beauty of Christianity. If you're bored... Slap yourself, get over it, and start building your life properly. <laughs> Seriously, it's just a stupid idea that Christians should be bored. You've got the God of the whole universe, you know, the infinite God willing to reveal himself to you. How could you ever get bored? It's daft, isn't it? You think, but what, what, if you got there, then something's gone wrong. You stop building at some stage. You stop building your life. You, you, so another example, is, I don't know how many of you have seen the annexes going up out there. It's great, really going, going up well. Um, now, what is quite important is that that annex has got foundations in it. Now, what would be easy to presume is, is well, it's part of Eastgate. Eastgate's got great foundations. You should have seen the foundations. We dug for this building. And they are big, I can assure you. Cause I, and I've buried some stuff in them, because I was told to do so by God. That's precious to me. They're in that corner of the foundations, over there in that corner of the building. You know, well, we did great foundations. Why do we need some more foundations? Well, if we don't build it on right, it'll fall over. And not will only affect that, but actually it's, it's plugged into this building. If we don't build that right, it'll damage this one. 
because it's becoming an integral part of this, this building in one sense. Yeah? So, 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 so how we build things is, is, is really important. So, and what I love about this story, so we're going to go through chapter 3 quickly, just going to pick on some of it, and I'm going to suggest that you read through the book of Nehemiah this week, or go Ezra and Nehemiah, just, just get the stories, it's fantastic. Just, but, and they've got lots of names here that I probably won't get right, um, I have no idea how you pronounce all these names, but there's lots of them there. And <clears throat> what I love about this is all the different names that appear that you think would have no other reference in history. But they're in God's book. God's, 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 God's took, took note of them. Do you know, no, God's got another book running. It's called the Book of Life. Whose name's in it? Yours. Because he's not just got your name written in it, he's writing your exploits. Down. Isn't that good? So, here we go. Eliashib, or whatever, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanar. They laid its beams and it's put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, I think it's Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, Hakos, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of uh, Barna, not Banana, um, also, I made that mistake a little. Read that, no, no, read it carefully. Barna also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Now, but listen to this. this. This is interesting. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Why? Too noble. Isn't it interesting? There are some people say, we're not joining in. Why? Blow us. Blow my station. Do you know how long I've been a Christian? Been a Christian a long time. Think, think you teach me something new? Think again. <clears throat> I've seen it all before. All that Christian. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember that Toronto blessing? Remember it? Bethel done that. Eastgate done that. School, yeah. No, no. Oh, why, why? Ah! <clears throat> Once you become noble and the expert, you are in trouble. That's what I love. One of the things I love about Eastgate. Funny, it's that I don't believe this. I don't believe the culture is broadly speaking true. One of the things I know is, how many of the directors have you got part of your world changes team, Steph? It's at least three, isn't it? At least three. So there's my wife this morning with a bib on, looking after their kids. I know Dave Webster does it as well, don't you, Dave? Dave Carter obviously runs the youth. I'm quite happy to put chairs out and make tea and coffee. Why? Because I want to build a church. I've had some interactions over the years with people. It's quite quite interesting. Other Christian leaders say, why are you still doing that? Well, that's part of the family, really, because you shouldn't be doing that anymore. Why? Well, you're a leader. Number one, I don't believe I'm the leader. I believe I'm one of the leaders. And I think Jesus actually did something about washing people's feet. And interacting with kids, and when the disciples tried, said, "Oh, Jesus, not 
you're, you're too noble for kids. We'll keep them away from you. Not you, Jesus. You need to deal with us important people, the adults. Jesus didn't, Jesus wasn't impressed with that, was he? I hope you're not too noble to build. The Jeshonar Gate was repaired by Joy Arda. That was a good time for that. I thought Joy's got to get in there somewhere. Son of Pasea. I'm sure some of these, this could come out rude, some of the pronunciations. Meshalem, son of Besodea. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatia of Gibeon and Jadon of Moranoth, places under the authority of the governor of, Tra- of Trans-Euphrates. I'm not quite sure where that's relevant, but... Uziel, son of... Now, this is a really tricky one, is it up there? Ha, 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 ha. Now, what, what's... What, but, this is, but he, he intrigues me, because what, what is he? He's one of the goldsmiths. Have you ever seen a goldsmith repairing a wall? I'm never. Not, 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 well, I'm not saying I don't know, but <laughs> this is another thing that, that fascinates me. He didn't say, hey, excuse me, I'm a goldsmith. I don't do that bricks and mortar mark. Yeah? He said, oh, I haven't got a calling to do that. If you don't mind, I, I'm a, you know, my calling, I'm goldsmith. I, give me, give me a gold and I'll make you a nice earring. Uh, kind of not important at the moment. <laughs> we need you to build a section of the wall, if you don't mind. And he did it. So, the goldsmith, ha 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 ha. He repaired the next section. And Hananiah, now this it gets even better. What are the perfume makers? Made repairs next to that. You think, why did God give you that sort of detail? Because everybody was getting involved. It didn't matter what they felt they were called to, unless they were too high and mighty for it. And I love that, you know. And one of my favourite, you know, um, stories. I'll, I'll tell this story. I used to tell this around the world, actually. Um, and there's most of you. Most of you know who Donna King is in, in, in the church. No, most of you know Donna. How many of you know Stuart King, her husband? Not nearly as many of you. Why? Because actually he's, he doesn't make himself known a lot. <clears throat> um, Stuart actually has had very, very, very influential jobs in, in the finance sector of London. In actual fact, he used to work for the Bank of England and he regulated other banks at some stage. And he used to work ridiculously long hours to do so. Uh, one of the people who's actually <laughs> literally kept our, our country running and he used to leave home, I think it was about 5 o'clock in the morning and get home at 10 o'clock at night. Monday to Friday, that, that was his sort of... Um, we didn't often see him at home group, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> Didn't make the prayer meetings. It didn't make, but you know what? Oh, good, he's out there changing the world. Why? Got an important job. <clears throat> didn't have time to do much preparation. One Sunday a month. <laughs> used to get there, and I used to love, I wonder in, and there's Stuart with his bib on. Because he used to do the crash. Yeah, that, I, I. Said, I don't have time to be other stuff, but this I can do. I want to do this to help build this church. Is that amazing? And <clears throat> say, well, this is not my calling, you know. And do you know how many hours I've been out this week? No, I said, I'm part of this. I want to build it. 
I want to help build this thing that will change the nations. Or change a village as we were doing at that stage, early days. <laughs> and uh, I look back and I look back over so many years of people who have faithfully built side by side. I've got Caroline back there. Caroline, you've helped build this place, haven't you? She's another one who wouldn't necessarily think of herself highly and mighty, but she's a mighty warrior, I tell you. Eastgate wouldn't be Eastgate without her. But actually it wouldn't be Eastgate without hundreds of people. Because the story of this place is it's been built by people standing side by side. And it was interesting, I was... When we were when we were in the process of building gate, building Eastgate, the building, and just afterwards, and, and I got opportunities to tell the stories, and I've told the stories actually to to some very senior business people and people in other church contexts, and um, I said when I told them that our congregation, and you know that included, well, I guess I've got to say with David Webster, because part of the history was actually we put two churches together, and David had it's about thirty odd years you've been. Is it 30 odd years you've been building the church and for us to come together? It was an extraordinary thing of we're coming together to put two churches together for, for this thing called Eastgate. And I just want to acknowledge what David has done because it's been my joy. Because we were building alongside one another in the context of two separate churches, then we put two churches together and it's been fantastic. Um, <coughs> I've lost track of what I was saying there. Um, people building together. Oh, Eastgate, that was it. And. Um, the congregation of Eastgate basically raised £1.5 million out of their own pockets to make this possible. And we didn't have anybody rich giving us multi-thousand dollar checks. And people said, that's amazing. And we, we, we actually we collected that money over the course of 14 years. Just steady, steady, steady giving. One of my favorite things was when we had our offerings was the kids coming and putting their pennies in. There are many children, including my own children. My, 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 he said, he said, not funny. We, we start, we started, we started the building fund. And David went to university, did medical school, he did two years training, and then he came back. The building fund was still running because we hadn't got around, because we hadn't got the chance to build the building. But I remember, you know, from early days of of teaching our kids, um, that part of the way that they could help build the church was using their money. So whenever they they had their pocket money, they had a I love Jesus jar. So we used to give them, we we used to make it easy for them, so we make sure their pocket money was in multiples of ten. And when they, their pocket money was 20p, we made sure they had a, two, a 2p coin that was immediately available for them to put in the I love Jesus jar. And then when it came round, they would put in their offering. So this, this place has been built on, on people, children, all sorts, growing together, loving together. And uh, I love it. It's amazing. I'm just so grateful. Um, Jilly was sitting here this morning, some of you from there. Jilly Parker, what a hero she is. You won't necessarily know her. <coughs> she, she's, I think, well in her 70s now. Um, and honestly, not enjoying the greatest of health, but she is a hero because what she's done. Keith and Lulette, anybody know Keith and Lulette? Oh my goodness. Mid, mid-80s now. <laughs> they are the heroes. <laughs> They're heroes of this church. They came to the encounter week this week because why? They're still building. 
the mid-80s, they came to the encounter week. Now, you think, they've been in Eastgate 25 years, but we start something new, boom, they're in. And then this morning, Keith's telling me, because there's something I, I taught on, 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 on during the encounter week, and he's been studying it. And then he came back and said, this is amazing. And if you, you talk to them, they don't think they felt build anything, because oh, well, we just do what we do. So... <clears throat> Lulette will apologise to, to us because she's only on two of the serving teams in the mid-80s. She says, I don't do much. I said, I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> I really do. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing? And it goes on and on and all these names and and, da -da -da, and then it gets to the end of the chapter and there's more goldsmiths. Verse 32, and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. It's just a phenomenal story of people coming together with a common purpose to build something. <coughs> and uh, you, if you want to read it for yourself, you'll find out, but if not, if you don't get around to it. Next week, I'll give you the, the update on how long it took them to rebuild the wall. Bear in mind, it's 70 years waiting. Okay, How long does it take to rebuild, rebuild the wall? That's your little task for this week, if you want to do a bit of homework. So. Verse, uh, chapter 4 talks about the enemies coming along. Sam Balat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed. Now, I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but I want to say, when you're about a great work, you will get opposed. If the devil's knocking on your door, just take him on. Don't be frightened of him. And be glad that he's occupied with you rather than somebody else. I'm happy to give him enough trouble because he, he's only got limited resources. Not making any more demons. They're limited supply. If I can keep them busy, then they've not got time elsewhere. <clears throat> and you know what? Also, I, I love this thought. That the, the human population has gone up by almost oh no, seven times within the last about 120 years. Yeah, Seven times as many humans, same number of demons. They're getting busier. Think, think your workload's getting busy? They're, 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 they're not, not compared to a demon, I tell you. The demons, they are running around not knowing what to do. <clears throat> and if I can give them a tough time, I don't mind. Because <laughs> they don't win. But they've got tactics. So I want to share with you, from the book of Ezra, chapter 4, tactics that I think is very straightforward and you'll be able to protect yourself what I want, the reason I'm doing this uh, is you can not just protect yourself but you can c help protect the whole culture of Eastgate you can protect what we are building together and uh, <clears throat> so what happened so at the beginning of chapter 4 they start to get um, enemy activity I, I would say and by the end of chapter 4 the end of chapter 4 it's funny, we start at the end of the chapter. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, it says, The work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, when you study it, it actually came to a standstill for 15 years. So for 15 years, this was people who had gone back 
to rebuild the temple and they were given the, 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 the you know, Cyrus, the king of Persia's decree. They were given all the resources they needed. Everything was, everything was supplied for them to do the work of rebuilding the temple. But for 15 years, nothing happened. Then the sad thing is, then they, they succeeded in building the temple and then for 70 years, nothing happened. Effectively, you're with me. There is a, there's a bit of a repeat pattern here. So, so we need to be aware of the sort of tactics that the enemy would bring against you to make you ineffective, because he can't stop you being born again. Yeah. <clears throat> so, here we goes. <clears throat> um, so, Ezra chapter four, verse four. The peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see if you can pick out the four things there, four enemy tactics. Just look at it. What four enemy tactics can you see in those few verses? So the first one's discouragement. Fear is the second one. Third one, frustration. And the fourth one, accusation. Okay, got those down. Discouragement, fear, frustration, accusation are common enemy tactics that are, are, can be extremely effective in bringing your Christian life to a standstill. You need to be aware of that and you need to guard yourself against it. And you need to, to, the way you guard yourself against this is very straightforward. So how do you overcome discouragement? No, it's a bit more straightforward than that. Encouragement. Okay, discouragement means taking your courage away. Encourage means putting courage in. That's what encouragement means. Encouragement is courage in. Discouragement is courage out. (coughs) So... How good are you at encouraging other people? Good at it. This is one of the reasons we have a good news culture here. We've got a lot, we, and we, we celebrate each other. We build one another up. <clears throat> now, we do it with reality. That's right. We, areas for improvement. But broadly speaking, <clears throat> this needs to be a culture of encouragement. And you know what? Before you leave this place, you could actually destroy some enemy tactics by encouraging somebody else. Uh, you know, testimonies encourage. Good news encourages me. You know, Sally, where, where's Sally? Lost her. Oh, she's gone out. Oh, she's gone back. No, they're all disappeared. Where are they going? I'm get the cakes earlier. Anyway, her mum came to encounter week this week and uh, she got a hearing back. Is that good? How, how, how many healing testimonies did we have from, from David's tent from a couple of weeks back? Over 100? Okay, at least 40 people about immediately saying a, a change and a lot of stuff you can't tell immediately. That's not bad, is it? 40 people? Do you, know, you just you feed off this stuff. What, how, what, do you, what do you feed yourself on? What do, you feed, do you feed yourself on the good news or the bad news? There's masses of good news. You know. So, encouragement. So, next question. How good are you at encouraging yourself? The art of self-encouragement is really important. Do you know when the art of self-encouragement first appears in the Bible? 
Yeah, it starts right at the beginning of Genesis when God does a day's work and said, that's really good. So that's there, there. He says, well, it's good, that. Who's he talking to? <laughs> working that out before there's no Adam and Eve at that stage. First day, well, that's really good. I think they agree between themselves. Father, son, and yeah, pretty well, high fives all round. Yeah, we've done a good job. <laughs> Next day, phew, brilliant. When they get to the seventh, oh, sixth day, seventh day, rested. Sixth day, he said, well, that's really good. Very good. Woohoo. High tens, you know. <laughs> See, God, God has the, the art of self-encouragement down to a T. You're going to be like him. People say, oh, that's silly. No, no, that's godly. What's silly is not doing it. How good are you at running yourself down? That's, that's a terrible thing. That's enemy tactic, okay? Do you want to join in with the enemy's tactics for your life? I would suggest you don't. Not a good outcome. Self-discouragement is demonic. That's a big phrase, eh? Why? Enemy tactic. How good are you at receiving encouragement from other people? Oh, no. Not me. (laughs) Push it away. That's, That's not humility. That's stupidity. And it's also ungodly. Got some tips for this week, have you? When you wake up tomorrow, here's what I suggest. Think up. Wake up. I'm amazing. I'm ready for the world. Bring it on. I'm glorious. Oh, maybe I should. Oh, I'll be thinking about this. I haven't got time. I've got it loaded up. Maybe next week. Next, next, next Sunday evening, I'll show, show, show you a, a, a great song about this. Woo, yeah. We'll do that. That'll be fun next Sunday. <coughs> fear. What overcomes fear? Go back to the first answer. Perfect love, cast out all fear. I'm not afraid. Why? Because I've got perfect love. Lives inside me. He lives inside me. <clears throat> I've got a river. I would suggest to you other things that, that, are, that are good um, ways of overcoming fear is confidence. You're meant to be confident in God and in what He's called you to be. And faith. Faith and fear are actually opposite things because faith is, is trust and connection to God. And that's a fantastic antidote to fear. How about frustration? Maybe not quite so obvious. Um, I would suggest a fruit of the Spirit called patience is, is one of the most important ones of that. Um, I, <laughs> this is funny. I, I will be drawn to close soon before the cakes have gone downstairs. I know it's... <laughs> Has anybody else ever, well, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, but, but, but um, dared to, to, you know, ask God to give them more patience? I, I remember that. When I was a young Christian, I thought, oh, this one thing, I need, uh, I need more patience. I realized I was a bit impatient, and so I asked for more patience. Well, I couldn't believe the next two weeks I had. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was very good on delivering the opportunities. <laughs> My brain was spinning with, with, with opportunities of frustration and impatience. Uh, I thought, you know, and after two weeks, I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm never going to pray that again. I said, I'm going to learn. I'll learn the lesson quick. I think this is. Uh, but um, 
But it actually also talks about frustrating their plans. And if you, if you told me that I... If there's something wrong with my house and it needs to get fixed, I need support because I'm really not very good at that. And if it was just down to me, I probably would get frustrated. But you know what? I'm glad I've got friends. And I would suggest to you that the close support and friendship and connection is vital to help you overcome frustration. That's why these connect groups are so important. You ever get frustrated with somebody? How do you sort it out? Sometimes you're frustrated on lack of information. I usually find that frustration with somebody else is sorted out by love, if necessary, forgiveness, but actually just deciding we're going to get close because often it's a misunderstanding. And I sense taking a sense of fulfillment out of what you achieve is really important. I want to tell you that perfectionism is a deadly curse. If you suffer from it, then then get get helped to get out of it. I think I actually think you need, there's a stronghold you need broken in your life. It, 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 you know, if you can never do anything to a sufficient standard to satisfy yourself, it's absolutely deadly because you will live in constant frustration. So if that's you, then then, then you know. You need help on that. It's a significantly strong stronghold that I know you will need help uh, to break free of it because I've seen it so many times. Um, I remember a number of years ago I was talking to this guy. I'd just done a seminar on, on how you cope with stress. And at the end of this, he came up and he was talking to me about his stress. And, and uh, I said, oh, what, what do you do? He says, I'm a concert pianist. I said, wow. I said, I said, they must love having you in church. Oh, no, 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 never play, never play, never play, never play in church. Why? Say, so, no, no, I can hear every wrong note I play. Oh, what? You are at that level, but because you might hit one wrong note, nobody else benefits from your beautiful gift. So I'll pray for him to get set free. And then accusation. Well, who's going to, who's your accuser? The enemy. Yeah, he's the, he's the accuser. <laughs> One of the sad things is how, how good Christians are at joining in with accusation. And you have to tr- look at the internet and see how people are very happy to f- fling an accusation around. I, I want to say this. Accusation is probably, to my mind, the worst form of communication. It's interesting how easy it happens. You ever have somebody trying to correct you about something? And your immediate response is to find a fault in them that's similar to what they're just talking to you about you. That's accusation. Rather than being humble and open to correction, rather than looking at the, you know, logging your own eye before you're trying to speck out. It's this defense mechanism. You accuse me? I'm accusing you. No, I was only just trying to help you. You shouldn't do your I've seen you. I've seen you. Don't you dare. You don't you dare. You don't you dare tell me. Don't tell me again. Because I know how bad you are. It's, it's, it's really very common within humanity. 
<laughs> I've just hit a mark there. I know I can't see. But of course, if that's, that's true of you, you need to guide yourself against it. And you need to get out of it. Because <clears throat> there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not accusing you. <clears throat> there's no shame, no blame. And probably if you want to do a study, the, 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 the most important, obvious little Bible study you can do on that is the lady caught in adultery. Jesus did not accuse her. He didn't ignore what she'd done, but he set her free. The way we deal with people should be to set them free, never to accuse them and condemn them. And that includes the world. Our job is not to condemn the world or accuse the world. Our job is to love the world. And unfortunately, for too long, the world has seen the church as judgmental and accusative. And we need to change that. That's part of what we want to build in the next 10 years. Churches that the world longs to visit. Because why? Because we've got the words of eternal life. <clears throat> where the sinners flock. <laughs> because they find a saviour. Who loves them. Even if they've been caught in the most dreadful circumstances. These are the sort of things I dream about. Do you want to build, build things like that? going to build a world-changing church with a heavenly culture? That's what we're doing. Want to change nations? My, my invitation is, let's, let's do this together, shall we? If you build together next 10 years, it's going to be fantastic. One of the things I'm going to ask you to do is, is obviously look at the connection, but actually at the back, we've also got, there's a serving sign-up thing there, and um, one of the things that I've just been talking particularly this morning is actually, one of the things, I love what happens with our children and our youth in this church. I love seeing their lives change. I love building for future generations. I, I'm, I'm imagining what this place will look like in 70 years' time. I'll be having a different perspective on it, I think. Unless there's some extraordinary miracle that's gone on in my life. But I think I'll be ready to be looking from on high. <clears throat> Even in 20 years' time, who's going to be leading this environment? 30 years' time, it's... it's the children and the youth we're raising at this moment in time, the world changes. And Steph, who does an amazing job down here, we've got so many kids, we need more disciples, don't we? We need more people to train and raise our kids to be world changers. And uh, so I'm going to appeal to you. Go and have a look. And um, this is... You, know, you can express an interest through, through this. There's other stuff again. I think I haven't even got PA on there, Anthony. I don't think you need anybody. Should have, shouldn't we? Anthony does a great job. But if you, that's your thing. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that go on here. A lot of things are general. You know, I think, broadly speaking, looking after our, our children is, is, is a general responsibility. Probably for PA, you probably need some skills. Is that right? But they can be trained into you and stuff. Anyway, there we go. That's by the by. So... Can I pray for us all? And uh, there's a lot more to say, so I'll be picking this up next Sunday morning and Sunday evening and hope you've got the idea. We're about a great work. <laughs> We're about a great work. Let's, will you stand and we'll pray together? Jesus, thank you that you are so amazing. You are so worth following. And thank you, you give us extraordinary destinies, an extraordinary purpose and we thank you for each other. We love being part of this church. 
part of this family. We love building together. And Father, we now choose to build the future together. We thank you for one another. Thank you for what's already been built. Thank you for what's already been achieved. But we, we refuse to, to just settle with that. And so we will pu- push on for the more that you've called us to. Holy Spirit, will you flood us and fill us? Father, I pray that you would make us aware of the enemy's schemes and that we would guard ourselves. Would we guard our hearts and our minds? In Jesus' name. Amen.